So the passage, hello, the passage we're going to be reading from today is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Thank you for standing. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, show, if you will, the sufferings of our Lord and that it was divided up into seven acts. And that there are times when I preach that I don't preach the gospel. There's times when I preach on the glories of heaven. There's times when I may preach on tithing. I, I don't do that very much, but there are times when uh, yes, I do preach on tithing. And then there are times when I preach on the awfulness of hell and the judgments of God. But this morning, I've been impressed to preach nothing but pure gospel. Act 1, the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, many people don't realize what our Lord endured in that garden. When they speak of the tortures and the sufferings of our Savior, usually they begin somewhere in the Jewish and Roman trials. But the truth of the matter is that the sufferings of our Lord began that night in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, the word means oil press. Somewhere in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was located upon the Mount of Olives, there was an oil press. And the olives was gathered, and they were brought into the press, and the oil was squeezed out of the olives and sold in great quantities and used abundantly in Bible days. Well, we find there that night in the garden, our Lord Jesus Christ was squeezed and pressed and depressed by the devil. I want you to understand something, and I want you to listen very closely to what I'm about to say to you. Satan did not jump up and down with delight 
when our Lord was going to, the, to Calvary. Not at all. As a matter of fact, Satan knew that his end was in, in sight. He knew that if Jesus made it to Calvary, that he would accomplish what he had come to do. He would accomplish salvation for his people by shedding his blood on Calvary. Nothing to be further from the truth to think that Satan was delighted when our Lord went to Calvary. So at Gethsemane, it was his last ditch effort to kill the Savior before he ever made it to the cross. You'll find in the Gospels and on many occasions that Satan did everything in his power to keep Jesus from going to the cross. He tried to kill him before he ever made it there. And here Jesus was in this garden of oil press and he was pressed almost to the very extent that his life left him. After our Savior took 11 of his disciples, Judas Iscariot had already departed into the night to betray him and had fallen by the wayside. He went into this enclosed garden and he told his disciples to stay there in the, in the garden to watch and to pray. He went a little bit further and he took Peter, James, and John. And then he went a stone's throw, the Bible says, off away from Peter, James, and John. And the Bible says that Satan lynched on him at that particular time in such a array that it surprised him. He was amazed at the fact of how Satan had lynched upon him in, in depression and trying to squeeze the very life out of our Savior. The Bible says that he fell to the ground. He fell to his knees, and he fell on his face. And as he prayed that night there in agony, the Bible says that his sweat became great drops of blood. What had happened is the capillaries had bursted inside of his veins, and the blood rushed into his sweat. And as he prayed there in the garden, he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. Now please, don't never entertain the ugly, awful thought that our Lord ever wanted to turn from Calvary. That's what he came for. That's what he was here to do, is to go to Calvary and to shed his blood for you and to me. What he was praying for in that, at that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, I will. I, I want you to deliver me this night. I want you to spare me this night. I want you to grant me the strength to make it through this temptation, through this awful pressure from Satan in his last ditch effort to try to kill me. I want you to deliver me from this and let me go to Calvary. And what he was praying for is God would deliver him from death in that garden so he could make it on to Calvary. The Bible says that God had to dispatch an angel from glory to strengthen him Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 7 says these words. He says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cries and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and he was heard in that he feared. No, that cup was the cup of death, not a deliverance 
from Calvary. That's what our Lord came for. That it, the devil with this cup of death was trying to press the very life out of our Savior there in that garden. And instead of going to the cross and dying for the sins of the people, he says, Lord, if that's what you want, if you want me to die here in this garden, let it be. But my prayer is that you'll deliver me from this and you'll strengthen me to where I can go to Calvary and die for the sins of my people. Act 2. After this struggle with Satan for his very own life, Act 2 begins his betrayal, his arrest, and he's being forsaken by his very own disciples. The Bible tells us as his ordeal began in the garden, it was and it was coming to an end. As he was speaking, he said, The hour of darkness is upon us. He says, Arise to his sleeping disciples. He says, Arise. And somewhere between 600 to 1,000 soldiers, temple police, Jews, came there that night with swords and staves to arrest him. One of his very own disciples, Judas Iscariot, comes up to him in order to uh, show who he was to this, this kangaroo court, if you will, this, this mob that come to arrest him, comes and repeatedly kisses his hand as a show of a rabbi, as his master. And the Bible says that our Lord calmly said, Whom seek ye? They said, We seek Jesus of Nazareth. And you see, Nazareth was a slum town. The Gospels record that on one occasion, one of his disciples had found the Messiah, and he goes to his brother Nathaniel, and he says, we found the Messiah, we found him in Nazareth. And he looks at him and he says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So what they were actually doing here, with ridicule and derision, with a sneer almost, they say, we seek Jesus of Nazareth from where nothing good can come. And he said unto them, our Lord did to show, you know, and it always made me wonder why that so many men would come against just one man. And I think I know the reason why, because they think that strength is in numbers. But in order to show this mob that there wasn't strength in numbers. The Bible says that when Jesus says, I am, now in a lot of your translations it may say, I am he, but it will be italicized in order to show you that that was kind of added by the translators for easy reading. But what he was saying, he says, I'm God in flesh. I am. 
And in order to show this mob that he was not a martyr, that they couldn't take him with their measly, flimsy efforts to, to arrest him, the Bible says that he, when he said, I am, they all fell back. And he held them there. And then one of his disciples began to, to swing wildly, you know, with his sword. Oh, Peter there. You got to admire Peter. One against 600 to 1,000. And, and he swings wildly and he cuts off the right ear of one of the high priest's servants named Malchus. And our Lord, in a, in a, to show man just how depraved their hearts really are, he takes that ear that had fallen off that soldier and he reaches down into the dust and he picks it up and he places it on that soldier's head. And it's just as if it had never been cut off. And to show the depravity in a man's heart, he releases them. And they lynch upon him like wild beasts on a prey. They bind his hands behind his back, and they take him for trial. Act 3. Our Lord endured three Jewish trials that night. The first trial he endured as they brought him in was a preliminary type trial from the ex-high priest by the name of Annas. As they brought him in, to the head, he was kind of like the head judge of the Sanhedrin. They brought him in to find if they could just get their stories straight, you know, to, to get their lives in order so that they might be able to convict our Lord. They brought in several witnesses and none of them could get their stories straight. And when it, when it was almost to the point where they thought, we're not going to be able to keep him, we're not going to be able to kill him here, they started their lies. And they hatched out their lies and said, I put you under oath, is what Anna says. Are you the Son of God? Are you who you say you are? And when our Lord told them that He was God, that He was the Son of God, the high priest jumps up, rents his robe, and he says, what else do we need? He speaks blasphemy. So after doing this, they say, okay, we're going to take him now to Capius. Capius was actually the high priest of that day. Sometime just after midnight, they bring him in before Capius, to a formal trial of the Sanhedrin. And all that the facts that they brought about him were lies. Everything they made up, all the trials that they had was against the law according to the custom because no court could be held at night according to their own laws. But in an, in an attempt to kill the Savior, these religious, hypocritical Jews Break their own laws. And can I say something to you this morning? If you're here this morning and you're depending on religion, religion, it could even be the Baptist religion. If that's all you're depending on, your membership with a Baptist church, 
or perhaps what you do in the Baptist church. Religion will damn your soul. You need the Savior. You need to be acquainted with Jesus Christ because He is the only righteousness you will ever have. And He's the only thing that we can stand in the presence of a holy God with. So if you're hinging the eternal welfare of your soul on religion, trash it today. Get rid of it. And I don't care which religion it is. Jesus is the only way. And clinging to him and his worth and his righteousness is the only thing that will take you into the presence of a holy God. But these religious hypocrites break their own law having court at night making up all these lies none of their facts were ever proven against him they bring him forth to his third trial after the high priest they bring him in and he confesses that he is who he is. This kangaroo court now becomes an uncontrollable mob. Blindfolded him. Spat in his face. Cleared their ungodly throats. Spat in his face. Took the palms of their hands. Slapped him. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but this shows the, the mercy and grace of God. God in heaven. How many of you out there this morning would stand by and watch some fella take your son or your daughter who's innocent bind their hands behind them and beat them in the face, pluck the very hairs from his beard, spit on him. God should have and could have come down and carried the whole bunch to hell. But because of his love, you and me. He was willing and the son was willing to come and suffer and die. To be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be beaten for you and me. Why? The death and the sufferings and the beatings of our Lord ought to show you God's detest over sin. And that how none of us are righteous. That's the reason he came. That's the reason he suffers and dies. Just before dawn. Like I said, because no court could be held at night. To ratify all their stories and to bring everything together. With their hatred for him. They have their final meeting before they bring him before the Romans. Act number four, 
Just as there was three Jewish trials, there was three Roman trials. Sometime early that morning, he stood before Pilate. The high priest accused the Savior. He lied about his preaching. He told Pilate several things that weren't true. Pilate had to go, listen to me, Pilate had to go outside the court hall, go down the steps, because it was the time of the Passover. And these self-deluded, religious, hypocritical Jews, because it was the time of the Passover, they couldn't enter into anything that belonged to a Gentile, or they'd be marked unclean, and they couldn't observe their Passover. So they had Pilate come down out of the court hall, come down the steps unto them. See what I mean about religion? Religion will damn your soul. Pilate asked the Lord, You the king of the Jews? Not answers a word. Not a word. He said, Don't you know that I have power to release you? Or I have power to crucify you? Jesus says, you don't have any power over me except that which is given from above. Pilate gets to thinking. He says, aren't you from Galilee? He said, yeah, our Lord. He said, well, I don't have any jurisdiction over you. I'm going to send you to Herod. And Herod was overjoyed when he heard it because Herod had heard about this man. He had heard about the miracles this man had performed. And Herod was hoping that maybe Jesus would perform a miracle for him. But when he got there to Herod, Jesus would not say or do anything. So Herod gets aggravated and he has our Lord mocked, ridiculed, sends him back for his third Roman trial to Pilate. And while Pilate is thinking, he says, you know, you Jews have a custom. You have a custom during the Passover that one prisoner could be released. Now they had a known insurrectionist, a known murderer by the name of Barabbas. He said, surely they'll take Jesus over Barabbas. Pilate's wife said, don't have anything to do with this just man. Don't you have anything to do with this just man. Don't you do it. And after his puny efforts to release the Savior had failed, and they brought Barabbas in, and he says, Who will you have, Barabbas or the king of the Jews? The high priest had already flooded the crowd with the remarks, Crucify Jesus. Crucify him. And release to us Barabbas. Do you know that that's a small picture of you and me? We were Barabbas. We were known criminals, breakers of God's law. And Jesus went in my place where it should have been a rabbit, where it should have been me, you, Jesus went in our place. Pilate says, give me water. Let me wash my hands. He says, I won't have this man's blood upon me. 
And you know, we do the same thing today. We try to take water and wash away our sins. Water won't wash away your sins. Now, I agree, everybody that believes, that accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that professes Jesus as Lord, ought to be baptized. Yes, sir. It's an act of obedience. You ought to. But if you're depending on baptism this morning to get you into heaven, all it's going to do is get you wet. You're going to go in a dry center and come up a wet center. All it'll do is get you wet. If you're depending on anything else in the church as an ordinance to get you into heaven, it won't. So Pilate says, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. Take him, crucify him. But before you do, we're going to scourge him. Now, there was something you need to know about the scourging of those days. It was a whip with several leather lashes that had bone and metal fragments and hooks in, in those lacings. And as they would strap that dying man with it, the flesh would fly and gouge into them until their bones would be exposed. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number 6, he says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hairs. I, did, I hid my face from, sh from shame. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Psalms 129 and verse number 3 says that the, the plowers, those that plowed, plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. After this, this scourging, they mock him by putting a, a robe upon him. They put a reed in his hand as a scepter, as mocking him as a king. They weave together a crown of thorns and they place it on his head. And then they take the reed from his hands and they beat that crown of thorns down into the head of our Lord till the blood rushes down over his face. They take the robe off of him. They put his garments back on. And after these soldiers are exhausted from beating the Savior, Act chapter, Acts 5, the crucifixion. The way to Calvary. That was the Greek translation of the word. Golgotha, Hebrew translation of it. In his weakened condition from no sleep and the cruel beatings that they had laid upon him at his cross, they laid a beam upon our Lord that weighed somewhere between 300 pounds. And as he drug it through the streets up to Calvary's hill, and after falling under the weight of that beam, one of the soldiers reaches into the crowd and he pulls out a black man. His name's Simon of Cyrene. And they compel Simon to bring his cross all the way up 
to Calvary's hill. And when they got to the place the Bible calls the skull, with him there there was two robbers, two thieves, two malefactors that was to be crucified with him. And as the Romans laid those thieves, they fought, they kicked, they cursed, they spit, they did everything within their power to keep the Romans from crucifying them. When they come to the man in the center, the middle man, our Lord Jesus Christ, He calmly lays down. He crosses His feet. And they nail Him. He outstretches His hands. And they nail Him. He never says a word. Stripped naked in front of all humanity to see. Hanging there between heaven and earth. As they raise the pole in which our Lord is nailed to. And they drop it. And it whoosh, Off in the hole. The Bible says. In Psalm 22, in verse number 14, he says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones have come out of joint, and my heart is like wax. And the pain was so intense, so terrible, that the Romans, even though they were, they were strict with their... They were, they were cruel... But it was customary for them to have by the side of the crosses a bucket, a smooth painkiller, like a, a vinegar wine, and they would take a sop and they would dip it into the bucket and they would hold it up to a dying man to try to ease his pain. But you see, our Lord wouldn't take it. He wouldn't receive it. That's what he came for. He came to suffer for us. Acts 6, the first three hours on the cross, he hung there six hours that day. As he hung there between heaven and earth from about 9 a.m. to noon, as the Romans, the Bible says, and this is an awful statement, the Bible says that those Romans, after they had crucified our Lord, they sat down and watched him. The creature, looking up at the Creator, to watch him die. They sit there at the foot of that cross. They cast their lots for his clothing. The Bible says that the crowd, as they went by, they made fun of him. They shot out the tongue. They shot out the lip. He, they would say, you saved others. Why don't you save yourselves? Then we'd believe you. But instead of coming down and taking his hands down off that cross, off that tree, and sending every last one of them to hell, we hear the Savior say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Our Savior uttered three things during the first three hours of his terrible sufferings on the cross, and all three of them were for somebody else. 
as our Savior hung there between heaven and earth, he looks about the crowd, him being the oldest in the family, Joseph, the father, having died at a young age. He looks over the crowd and he sees his mother. And as every man loves his mother, our Lord looks to the wealthy John. And he tells John, he says, John, my mother is your mother now. Take care of her. And then the two thieves that was crucified on each side of him as they both ridiculed and mocked and said, you know, you saved others, save us. Come down off this cross and save us too. And then something, the Spirit of the living God, listen to me, the Spirit of the living God enters into one of those thieves and reveals to him who that man is. And he turns to the thief and he says, we're guilty of everything and we should be here, but he's not. And that thief looks at the Lord and he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Act number seven. The last three hours that our Lord hung there that day, from noon until three, we don't really know what happened those last three hours that Jesus hung on the cross. But God turned the lights off in the universe. And somehow, by a miracle, of grace God took my sins and he took your sins and he placed them on his son all the guilt that I deserve was placed on him and then there come a sound that shook the very foundations of hell My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And our Lord says, I thirst. My Lord, thirst the thirst of hell for me. When it was over, when it was over, God turns the lights back on. And the Bible says that our Lord Jesus Christ with a loud voice, not a weak, dying man's voice, but the boisterous, mighty voice of a conquering Savior. Bible says that he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. They didn't kill him. He gave his life. He gave his life. He went into the heart of the earth, into paradise, and he saw 
the faithful man Abraham. He's seen the prophets, seen Jeremiah and Daniel. He's seen the lawgiver Moses, and he said, boys, I'm here. Just like I said, I've come to get you. And after that, after three days, after three days, the Bible says that he came forth out of that tomb victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He showed himself alive unto his disciples for 40 days, and he gave them and us a mission. Go tell. I'm alive. I'm alive. Go preach this gospel to every nation, every people upon the face of the earth. Tell them, I'm alive. And he's alive today. I ask you this question this morning. While you're here, Jared, if you will, please come forward with a song of invitation. If you're here this morning, within the sound of my voice, you may be a a good church member today. You may have been a church member all of your life, and I don't care which church you were affiliated with, a Methodist, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, Church of Christ, I don't care what church you're affiliated with, a Catholic, I don't care. The Virgin Mary ain't going to get you into heaven. A guy that don't know how to put his collar on straight ain't going to help you. Let me tell you something. The gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ makes salvation possible. How do you do it, preacher? This salvation that you're talking about. What do you do? My question to you this morning, you this morning, has the Holy Spirit of God enlightened you as it showed you that, hey, I need a Savior. I need that Savior that that preacher was talking about this morning that came and suffered and died for me. Do you realize that He did that for you? That all the sufferings that He endured, He didn't have to. But He willingly came and suffered, bled, and died, was ridiculed and mocked so that you could go free. Do you realize that? Is the Spirit of God speaking to your hearts this morning and telling you that religion is just not enough? There's something else missing in my soul. There's an emptiness there that I can't fill with the things of this world. I don't care how much money or prestige or power you may have. There's an emptiness in my soul that can't be filled. The only thing that will fill it this morning is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come to Christ. Accept Christ. For what he's done for you. What about it this morning? There's somebody off in here needs Jesus Christ. Somebody's off in here needs Christ bad. You have hinged on religion. You've hinged on, well, if I just do this or that. If I'm just good enough. They'll accept me. Folks, it ain't up to me. When you got worms, you got skinny worms, long worms, tall worms, fat worms. We're all worms. We need Christ. Accept Christ. Come to Christ. If you need instructions, if you need someone to pray with you this morning, come forward during this time of invitation. Me or one of the deacons or somebody will pray with you, will instruct you and, 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 and lead you to Christ. What about it?
He was crucified for you. He shed his blood for you. Are you saved, huh? Are you?